Hey, uh, this morning we are talking about parenting, and so I thought it would be good to start with an accurate representation of what parenting is. Take a look at this. Awful, awful, awful. And then something magical happens. Can I get an amen out of anyone? Yeah. Parents say, hey, listen, the Bible says, let's start with this verse this morning. In Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5, it says, children are a what? Say it like you mean it, eh? They are a gift from the Lord. They are a what? They are a reward for him, from him. Children born to a young man are like what? They are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. Hey, we are continuing a short series that we have put together called This Is Us. And last week, Glenn talked about marriage. And this week, I am supposed to cover parenting in 30 minutes. No problem, right? Uh, there are literally thousands and thousands of Christian resources on parenting. And I literally, at the beginning of this week, wrote a whole outline on the stages of parenting. And I was getting ready to do it, but then I thought to myself, and I will preach it someday, I will. But I thought to myself, after thinking about it and praying about it, I thought, you know what? I just want to get super practical this morning. And so we're going to jump into it. You know, this idea of shooting our children as arrows is an interesting one because Every arrow is a bent arrow. Every kid has their strengths and weaknesses, their sin and selfishness that's built into them. And here's the funny thing. Every archer, every parent that's drawn back a bow is a broken archer who shoots imperfect arrows throughout, out of a broken, bent bow even from their own upbringing, right? And so we're trying to figure that out. And I have a little confession to make before we start. Here it is. I have parented three beautifully imperfect daughters. They, they are beautifully imperfect and I have done it right and I have done it wrong and I have done it downright ugly. There is no guilt today, no matter where you're at in parenting, there is no guilt for you today because we are all trying to make this work. And I thought as I was coming up with an outline, I could come up with some handy dandy stuff, but I decided that information from me doesn't help. So I thought what I would do is just go right through a passage of scripture and try and apparent it to, and try and apply it to parenting. This is not pop culture parenting, people. This is straight out of Romans chapter 12. And it, Romans chapter 12 talks about how we are supposed to treat each other. It's this passage on how we are supposed to treat each other and love each other. And all I'm trying to do today is apply that to the kids that are in your own home. God gave us a place to practice this with our own little human beings in our home. So this is for you, moms and dads, raise your hands. If you're a mom or dad or have ever been one. Grandmas and grandpas, raise your hand if you are anywhere to be seen. If you are an auntie or an uncle, raise your hand. If you like a kid anywhere, somewhere on the planet, <laughs> raise your hand. Um, I, 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 we're going to jump into this, and I have got way too much content. You guys ready? So let's buckle up and do this. You ready? Let's jump into it. Here is the first point from Romans chapter 12. It's give emotional support. Give emotional support. We all say we love our kids, but how do you express your love to your kids? You had better show them. You had better show them. I read a study. It's a few years old now, but they found that the average American father spends Seven minutes a day communicating with their kids. Seven minutes a day, the average American father. And the average American father is one-sixth as physically affectionate with their kids 
as their mother is. Now, dads, I know what you're thinking. And some of you are going to come at me with like, hey, I just didn't grow up in a home like that. That isn't how we did it. We don't express affection. We punch each other. That's what we do, right? Uh, It's time to overcome that. You have got to find a way to overcome that. And it starts with asking God to change your heart. Ask God to unpadlock your heart when it comes to showing that kind of love. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 12, first verse. Don't just what? Don't just pretend to love others. What are we supposed to do? Really love them. Can I tell you this parenting thing is all in. You cannot fake it or phone it in. You have to go all in. And that includes showing your kids you really love them. They need to know it. And, and listen, any positive movement you can make in, this right, in, in the right direction on this, it snowballs. It starts to lead to more and more uh, positive movement in that direction. But here are the two things that kids really need. Here's the first thing. Give your kids affection. They need affection. They need to know you love them and, they, and you need to show it. Let me ask you a question. If you knew that this was the last day you had with your kids, you would hug them, wouldn't you? You would hug them, and you would hold them tight. Let me show you this. Where's my daughter? There she is. Look at Rebecca, come up here. And I love this because Rebecca has no idea what's going to happen right now. But she showed up because she loves her dad. When you hug your kids... Well, she's doing good. You know how in every hug there's an internal clock that tells you when the hug is supposed to end? It's a different time if it's with your bros. It's like this. That's it. That's all I got. Uh, But with your kid, you need to hug them until that internal clock goes off and then wait one more second. And you know why? Because they need to know, I hug you different than I hug other people. Because I love you more than I love other people. Sorry. But I love you more, and I want you to know, and I don't want you ever to doubt how much I love you, and you know I love you. And I also know you don't love physical touch. (laughs) So she loves me just by standing up here. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Believe it or not, kids actually love that. They don't love it in high school as much, to be honest with you. And for sure, they don't love it in front of their high school. Don't do that in front of their high school. But secretly, they love it. Secretly, they love it. The second thing they need is this. They need affirmation. Your kids need affirmation. You need to remind your kids how awesome they are. Every chance you get, you need to catch your kids doing something right. You know how you catch your kids doing something wrong? You need to catch your kids doing something right and bring it up. Nail them on that. Catch them doing something good and say, wow, are you kidding me? That was awesome. That is unbelievable that you did that. You are so awesome. Rebecca already walked out the back because she's coming back for second service. But can I tell you how awesome my daughter Rebecca is? She is so awesome. She is, I, I, love, I love her heart. In about the last year or so, she jumped into volunteering with a high school ministry here at church. And I'm watching her pour out her life into these freshman girls that she has. They're in my living room and, and I'm watching her love them well. She's the hardest worker I know, man. She will grind and grind at the job, and I respect the heck out of that. She's got an incredible personality. She started dating boys. Do you know this happens? 
She started dating boys, and can I tell you, when she gets into these relationships and she comes home and starts talking to her mom and I, she is asking all the right questions about the guys that she is with. I am so stinking proud of my daughter, Rebecca. But that doesn't get communicated unless you say it to them. And, and I have awesome daughters, uh, Hannah and, and uh, Elizabeth, that are spread out across the U.S., and I would talk about them, but, you know, hi, if you're online, love you. Uh, but we have got to encourage our kids and affirm them. A little encouragement goes a long way. Can I tell you something? Cutting your kids down is like pouring sulfuric acid on their development. You have got to affirm them over and over again. You are an awesome kid, and let me tell you why you're such an awesome kid. All right, here's next. Be a consistent example. This is the do what I say, not what I do problem. You know what I'm talking about? Do what I say, not what I do. That's the problem here. Here's what Romans 12, 9b says. It says, hate what is what? Wrong. And hold tightly to what is? Hold tightly to what is good. Be a consistent example. The number one way we shape the lives of our kid is not what we say. It is what we do. Have you ever heard this? More is caught than taught. That is absolutely true in parenting. More is caught than taught. If you are a parent of little kids, how many people have little kids under the age of about 12? How many people of you know that your home is bugged? There is surveillance happening in your home at all times. How many people know that? That baby monitor, it doesn't just work that way. They are listening to every single thing you say. They listen to everything and they take it all in, right? Little ears are open and little eyes are watching and they don't miss a thing. They see everything and they hear everything. And if you are not a perfect example, and I am not a perfect example, amen? If you are not a perfect example, you need these two things. If you have not been perfect and being consistent, here's the first thing. You need to keep your promises and you need to apologize when you are wrong. I'm inconsistent. And I have got to work hard to keep my promise and apologize when I'm wrong. Do you know kids have an amazing memory? How many have kids? They have an amazing memory. They have an unbelievable memory, right? They, all the things that you said we said we could do. You said we could go to Chuck E. Cheese. When did I say we could go to Chuck E. Cheese? Well, it was right after you said no to Sunsplash. I remember we were driving to Grandma's house. You were wearing that green shirt that, your, that Mommy hates so much. And it was right after I spilled my sippy cup in the car. And you're like, oh, man, I think I did say that. They hear everything, they see everything, and they remember everything. But this also applies, keeping your promises also applies not only to the things you say you'll do, but the things you'll threaten you'll do. How many people know what I'm talking about, parents? Where you threaten you will do something, and if you do not follow through on that threat, your kids will own you. They will own you. If you say you're going to ground them when they come home late one more time and they come home late and you go, well, whatever. They are never going to know when you are going to ground them. They are going to walk around in, wondering when's dad going to snap? When's mom going to go off? And so the truth of the matter is, is we need to be consistent about those things and, and, and hold them accountable to the rules that they have set. I found this graphic that I just love. It's a, like a Pinterest-type sign that I think uh, you should uh, maybe put up in your home. It says, I am not your friend. I am your parent. I will stalk you, flip out on you, lecture you, drive you insane, be your worst nightmare, and hunt you down when needed. All because, what? I love you. When you understand that, I will know you are a responsible adult 
And you'll never find someone who loves, prays, cares, and worries about you more than me. We gotta be consistent in those things and then apologize when you are wrong. Boy, you have got to get into the habit of saying to your kid, daddy messed that up. I am, you're right. Hey, you shouldn't have done what you did, but I shouldn't have reacted the way that I did. You have, every time that I apologize to my kids, it is so humbling and you can see their eyes light up like they understand daddy is not uh, uh, infallible. You gotta be able to apologize for when you're wrong. Next, invest in the relationships. Invest in the relationships. Do you know by the time you're done with this parenting thing, all that will be left is the relationship. So invest in them. As parents, we have all these rules for our kids, right? But if you don't have a significant relationship with your kid, it does damage. Here's the antidote. Ready? Romans 12.10. Love each other with what? Genuine affection. And take delight in what? Honoring each other. Another translation, the NIV says, be devoted to one another. And you have to be in a relationship as a foundation for the rules in your home. Get this. Rules without relationships leads to rebellion. If you have rules in your home and you don't have a relationship or the underlying relationship, it will lead to rebellion in your kids. Uh, this is true of everyone everywhere, but it's very true of parents and children too, is everybody has an emotional bank account. Do you know about this? Everyone has an emotional bank account and we make deposits and withdrawals. And every time you spend time with your kids, when you affirm them, when you laugh with them around the dinner table, when you watch TV, did you ever remember watching TV with your kids squeezed into your bed with you and they had too many people and too little a bed? Every time you do stuff like that, when you play with them in the living room, when you're driving in the car and you let them control the radio, every time you do stuff like that, you are making a deposit. Those are deposits. And every time we discipline, we're making an emotional withdrawal. I would argue we're making a deposit into their life, but we are making an emotional withdrawal. And so as a result, they, the problem is, is that parents get in trouble when you haven't made the deposits, only the withdrawals. If every time all they hear from you is, I can't believe you, and you know what you did, and you're going to get, if you don't have an underlying relationship that is solid, that they know they can count on, that they, that they know you love them, you will eventually become bankrupt. I found uh, this quote online this week, and it really sums up this principle. It says, listen earnestly to anything your children want to tell you, no matter what. Because if you don't listen eagerly to the little stuff when they are little, they won't tell you the big stuff when they are big because to them, all of it has always been big stuff. You've got to make those relational deposits into them. And listen, this stuff isn't even easy. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of these things all the time. But you have to continue to build these relationships with your kids so that when you enforce the rules, they don't tip over the edge into rebellion. And get this, the only way you can do that is relationships require time. Relationships require time. There's no getting around it. George Barna is a Christian statistics guy, and he wrote a book called The Future of the American Family. And he wrote this, a century ago, parents spent 58% of their waking hours actively parenting and shaping the character of their kids. Around the turn of the century in the 1900s, they spent 58% of their time in their kids' presence parenting and shaping the character of their kids. It's dropped now to 18%. It's 
It's dropped 40% in about a century. But what we say, but Steve, I spend quality time with my kids. Maybe not quantity time, but it's quality time. George Barna in that same book says quality time is a myth. There's no such thing as quality time. When we say that, what we mean is we haven't set the priorities to spend the amount of time that is needed to make a difference in our kid's life. He says there is no research that supports the view that the quality of the time parents and kids spend together is any different. I told you, in the NIV it says to be devoted to one another, and you have got to devote the time to be devoted to one another. Um, John Maxwell wrote a book called Breakout Parenting. I want to show you this graph. It's, it's very interesting to me. This is not in your notes. If you ask me for it or send me an email, I will send it to you. Um, but there's these phases. The development stage is the age of, age of regulation. From zero to seven years old, the strongest need kids have is instruction. And, and what we're supposed to provide is rules and constant, consistent expectations and discipline. Uh, in the development stage, the age of imitation... Ages 8 through 12 years old, the strongest need they have is for you to demonstrate how to live and what that looks like. And the parents have got to demonstrate, the only way to demonstrate is through time. Time together for modeling. You've got to put the time in. And I don't know about you, but we, live, we used to live life on the go. How many people live life on the go? You spend more time in your car than at your house. Oh, I'm the only one. Okay. We, we, we were on the go all the time, and we were, we were doing that everywhere we go. And my, my intentional parenting was every time I got into a car when my kids were that age, is I would say, who wants to go with me? Anybody do this at home? Who wants to go with me? And one of my kids would immediately shoot up and say, me, me, me. And they would jump in the car, and we would drive someplace, and we would go do errands, or we would, we would do whatever it is that I do. And can I just tell you something? Every minute that we spent together while we were driving around, my kids would watch me. They would see me interact with people, people I know, people I don't know. They would see if I was kind to somebody that I don't know. They would see how I drive. Oh, dear God, some of you, be careful how you drive. <laughs> you, you, they would be, they're watching all of that. They would, they would, uh, they would see me make and take phone calls. They would uh, listen to me sing to the radio and sing with them. And, and we would get into all kinds of discussions in the car. Everything from world events to, to our world events. Like how do we stop the dog from tunneling under the fence in the backyard? And we would have these conversations. There is no substitute for time. You have to spend the time together if you want to parent them that way. And by the way, that mostly works in that 8 to 12 year time frame because when your kids get into high school and you're like, who wants to go with me? How many people know what high schoolers say? Whatever. They just don't want to go as much as they used to want to go. They've got other things on their mind. You better seize the moment while you have it from 8 to 12. All right, here's the next thing. Live life with passion. Man, live life with passion. Nothing is worse than a boring parent. Be interesting. Do something weird that, that most people don't do, right? Take some risks. Do something crazy. Run a marathon. Go skydiving. Do something that your kids are like, that's really cool. My dad does this or my mom did that. Do some of those things. Listen to what it says in Romans 12. It says, never be what? Lazy. But what are we supposed to do? Work hard and... Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Your kids will be impacted by whatever you are passionate about. If you are passionate about a sports team, more often than not, your kids will grow up to be a fan of that sports team, right? The Dodgers. 
it's just a shot at Giants fans and they didn't take it. So if you're passionate about a sports team, lots of times they grow up and that's their team too, right? Um, they grow up to be fans about that team. If you're passionate about a hobby, you find out, oh, your kids, my wife does I can't remember if it's knitting or cross-stitch or crocheting. They all have names. I don't know what it is. And every single one of my kids is sitting on the couch doing this. And I'm thinking, you guys are, that's stupid. <laughs> but, my, but my wife loves it and now they all do it. I don't know what to say. I'm going to have to learn the hook, stitch, cross, whatever it is. Um, but kids are affected by that, right? If you are passionate about family gatherings, if you really put on a shindig and the family comes and everybody has a great time, your kids are going to love family gatherings. That's how it works. Whatever you're passionate about, they will be passionate about. Show me a parent that is passionate about their walk with Jesus Christ. And I will show you a kid that will get that. They will learn that. They will see it. They will will understand it because you're so passionate about Christ. More is caught than taught when it comes to parenting. People hunger to see people of passion. One of my favorite quotes is Charles Spurgeon was a preacher from a about a hundred years ago, and he said, if you want to impact people, set yourself on fire and people will come to watch you burn. (laughs) The only trick is you can only do that deal one time. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But but be people of passion. You got to live it out all day, every day. If you want kids with integrity, boy, you better live out integrity. If you want kids that are, uh, that are, Uh, work hard, you had better be hardworking because they are going to catch all of that. Here's the next one, and this may be one for somebody here who just needs to hear this today. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Listen to what it says in Romans 12, 12. It says, what are we supposed to do? Rejoice in our what? In our confident hope. Be what? Patient in trouble and keep on what? Praying. Listen, some of you may be in a situation right now where your kids, or your situation, you're hearing all this, Pastor Steve, Bible, mumbo, jumbo stuff, and you're at a crisis right now, and you think, my kids are too far gone, Steve, you don't know our situation, Steve. Let me tell you something, I don't need to know your situation. Don't give up. Keep after them. Don't ever give up on them. Listen, I serve a God who spoke into existence the heavens and the earth. He parted the Red Sea and had his people walk on dry ground. He made the blind to see, the lame to walk, and he healed the sick and he fed the hungry. And when he hung on a cross and breathed his last breath, even then he wasn't done. It wasn't over. When there was no hope, when, when Jesus' followers saw no hope whatsoever, Jesus rose from the dead. So I don't care what your situation is right now. He is not done with your kid. Listen to me closely. He is not done with your kid. Whatever you are facing, whatever hopelessness you are, you are, are holding on to, he is not. God has been chasing your kid since the day he knit him together in his mother's womb and will not give up on your kid. Do not give up hope. Don't give up hope. In fact, can we bring that verse back up on there? I want you to do something in your notes there. Would you circle the word trouble? Circle the word trouble and then circle the word praying. And draw an arrow from trouble to praying. Right? 
Our response to trouble is to pray. That's what we do. When we face trouble, we get on our knees. And not just us, the people who love us will pray with us and for us and for our kids. Third, I want you to circle the word hope. Sorry, a little bit more. Circle the word hope. And then draw an arrow from praying back to hope. Draw an arrow from praying back to hope. Praying puts God back in control. It takes, him out, it takes our kid out of our hands and gives us hope. And then I want you to circle the word rejoice. Circle the word rejoice. And draw an arrow from praying back to hope. And then from hope to rejoice. And hope leads to joy again. When you start to have hope, you can have joy again. But here's the real point. Ready? The real point is get, get on your knees. Get on your knees and pray for your kid. If your kid is feeling lost, a prodigal, just out there hanging by a thread, you don't know what's going to happen, you, our response to tough times is to get on our knees and to pray. That's what we do. Uh, God can help you take your kids back, but our role in that is to pray and to be faithful with them. Prayer does a couple of things in parenting. First of all, prayer sets an atmosphere in your home. When you are praying for your home, suddenly the atmosphere in your home changes. You've got a spiritual perspective and God is at work there. And then secondly, that prayer will actually impact your kids. I would just encourage you, if you are losing hope with your kids, would you renew your prayer life for your kid? Pray with them. Pray about them. Just keep praying. Can I tell you something? I have never prayed so much in my entire life as when my kids got into their 20s. And the reason why is because I got very little control anymore. And the only control I have is to give them back to God, which is actually the biggest control I can do. But you've got to pray for your kids. Somebody asked uh, Ray and Ann Ortland about their four grown kids and grandkids. And they were all doing well and they were all walking with the Lord. Somebody asked them, how do you do it? And their answer was prayer and fasting. That's all we could bank on. Prayer and fasting. All right, that passage in Romans continues. Serve together. Serve together. Romans 12, verses 13 and 14 says this. When God's people are in need, be what? Be ready to help them. Always be what? Eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. And pray that God will bless them. Um, Remember that chart that I showed you? From uh, John Maxwell's Breakout Parenting, when you get down to the last part of that chart, the age of inspiration, 13 years and up, the strongest need is exposure, and he says that's experiences with high-impact people and events. High-impact experiences is one of of the best ways to give your kids high-impact experiences. By the way, I have leaned into this idea with my older kids more than you can know. Give your kids high-impact experiences. And this is, this is, what does that look like? Well, serving with your kids is a great way to give them that. It, take them to the homeless shelter. Drop off blankets or clothing. Sit with a homeless person and talk with them. Those moments make an impact on your kids. Go serve uh, Thanksgiving dinner someplace or, or, or have them go with you to, to fill an Operation Christmas Child box or, or to, to get together a Thanksgiving dinner for some people in need. Go on a mission trip with your kids just a few weeks ago, we took a mission trip down to Mexico, uh, and a couple of our families took some awesome high schoolers with them. Uh, Valle and uh, Augusto Aniano took Zeke, and Zeke is a great kid. And it is, there's nothing more impactful than dropping a kid into a foreign culture and saying, let's serve together. 
Chris Haney and uh, Charette Haney. Uh, Chris took his two kids, uh, Aiden and Naya, down there. And I got a chance to watch these kids in action and watch them serve and watch them be impact for Christ in a foreign country. Can I tell you, those are the things they will remember. Those are the things they're actually going to remember. During high school, I pulled uh, my kids out of school for a week. And in the fall, and we took them down to Central America where we dug wells for Living Water International. Uh, Rebecca went with me to Honduras. My daughter Hannah went to Guatemala. This is me and Hannah pumping water for the first time out of a well that never existed before in Guatemala. She learned that from me too. Yeah, okay. And one of Hannah's teachers, I love this, one of Hannah's teachers gave me a hard time about her missing a week of school. She had like a phone call with me, and this is what she said to me. She said, listen, this is an unexcused absence, and I will give her a zero on all of her assignments. She cannot miss out on all of that learning. What I said back to her was, and I said it politely, (laughs) I said, hey, you do what you have to do. But trust me, she's going to learn a lot more with me drilling a well in, C- in Central America than she will in your classroom this week. And the truth of the matter is, is when you, when you expose your kids to those high-impact experiences, they begin to grow and they start to see what it means to live out this life as a follower of Jesus Christ. All right, I'm running out of time. We're going to blaze through this. You ready? Here we go. The next point is this. Laugh, cry, dance, and feel everything together. And Romans 12, 15 says this. Romans 12, 15 says, Be happy with those who are and weep with those who... You ever come home and your kids are just bummed out? You ever, your kid has something happen and it's, it's the end of the world to your kid and, and you come in and, and what do you say to them? Ah, knock it off. Oh, you're fine. Can I tell you something? When your kids are hurting, when your kids are experiencing something, just feel it with them. You you don't need to give your perspective from a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old and and say, oh, don't worry about it, right? Feel it with them. This is so real for them. Can I tell you something? When I was in youth ministry, I, I, I never forgot somebody teaching me this lesson. In youth ministry, when a kid from my youth group would come up to me and say he broke up with his girlfriend or broke up with his boy or they, she broke up with his boyfriend and they are tragically heartbroken. How many people know what I'm talking about? Parents out there? Tragically heartbroken. And my immediate response is, come on. Like this is a high school, this is a high school, we, we all had this, this is, this is nothing, this is, can I tell you something, you cannot say that to them. Do not say that to them. This is the end of the world to them. They don't have any perspective, but it's the end of the world to them. And, and you tell them, oh man, that is the worst. I, man, I remember feeling that way. I remember going through it. I am so sorry this is happening to you. You're going to give them perspective along the way, honestly. But in that moment, just enter into their pain, right? And when they're ecstatic, have a party with them. Like when your kids are, are flying high, like you should be the first one to jump around and high five them and, and, and do, a, do a little dance. My daughter the other day, uh, she called me as we were driving back from Apple Hill yesterday and she's on FaceTime and she said, Dad, I got in. I got into Point Loma. And I was like, yeah, right? You, you celebrate that with them. She said, I didn't think I was going to get in. I didn't think I'd get in. I said, but you got in because you're awesome. And, and you, you got to 
celebrate with your kids and mourn with your kids and walk through every emotional thing you're going to do with your kids. If you're going to dance with them at their wedding, you better dance with them first in your living room. That's what I'm talking about here. And then here's the last one, and this is the one that I struggle with the most. Don't major in the minors. Don't major in the minors. This is the, this room is a pigsty rule. Any other parents like me? Here's the funny thing. In some parents, you can win the battle for a clean room, and you can lose the battle for your kids. Listen to what it says in Romans 12, 16. Live in what? Harmony with each other. Live in harmony with each other. Now, of all these ones that I've mentioned, this is maybe the one that is most near and dear to my heart because I am the only one in my house who cares about a clean room. Anybody else persecuted like me? I'm the only one who cares about a clean room in my house. Nobody else cares about it. My wife, Nicole, whom I love dearly, is more of a free spirit. My wife wants things at our house to be cleaned with like soap and stuff. How many people know what I'm talking about? Like pine saw and, and, and scrubbed in the toilet and all that. I don't care about that stuff. I just want it to be picked up. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Am I the only one? Okay, good. I, I, I want it to be picked up and nobody else cares about this. Nobody cares. The most common thing you will hear in my house is, for the love of God and all that is holy, whose one shoe is sitting right here? How do you... How do you yeah, I understand taking off two shoes. I don't understand one shoe. Uh, in fact, lots of times, in fact, my kids will give you a, uh, they'll tell you this is true. Lots of times I will call a family meeting. I will say, everybody, 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 come into the main living room. And everybody will lumber into the main living room. And I will say, what is wrong with this picture? And something is not where it should be. And they will just roll their eyes at me like, Dad, we hate you so much. Uh, it's my thing. I, I get it. In, in fact, I'm, I actually really have a problem about this. Sometimes when the house is too chaotic, I have to leave the house. Anybody else? I'm like, I'm going someplace where they clean things up. I don't know where. Uh, uh, my kids know this about me. Uh, I can't function when the house is like that, but I know this point to be true. I know it absolutely to be true. You have got to choose your battles or you will be battling all the time. You have got to choose your battles or you will be battling all the time. You have got to choose to let something slide. You got to ask yourself the question, is this really going to make a difference in their character over the long haul? Is this worth fighting about? Is this going to crush my kid's spirit? Here's what I don't want. I don't want my kids to look back on their childhood and all they remember is me badgering them and nagging them again and again and again. I don't want that. But there definitely are some hills worth dying for. Would you agree with me? There are some things. They're fewer than you think, believe it or not. But there are some things, and I will... And, and the truth of the matter is, is that I will come after you for some of these things. Um, but if you blow your top about everything, they're not going to know what's really important. And so this, what are some of the majors? Let me tell you what the majors are for me. This is just for me. For me, the, the major thing for me is truthfulness, integrity, and trust. Truthfulness, integrity, and trust. I can forgive almost anything you've done. But if you add a lie to it at the end, I, I'm going to lose it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
You, you can do anything and I will find a way to love you through it and fix it and help you and love you. But at the end of the day, if you lie to me about it, I am, you're, I'm going to lose it on you. I'm going to lose it on you. Because we don't do that. Respect is another one. You will respect people. That's what I say. My kids have to have a healthy respect for authority and for other people. They do not talk to people in the wrong tone of voice. My kids will tell you that the time that they have watched dad snap the absolute hardest is when they have said something in that tone of voice to my wife. And I say, oh, no, you didn't. Like, I will, that is when I come unglued. You will not talk to her like that. I can understand you're upset. I can understand. And Nicole might even be wrong on something. But at the end of the day, you do not talk to her like that because we teach respect in my house. That's how we do it. Effort. Effort is one of those things that is a hill to die on for me. I can accept a less than stellar result if I know you gave it all you got. You ever have a kid bring home a C plus and you're like, that is the greatest C plus in the history of the world. Because I know you killed yourself trying to get that C+. I know how hard you worked. I saw how hard you worked. And you only got a C+, maybe because you're never going to be a mathematician. I don't know what to tell you. But, but I, I get that. But if you come home with an A-, and I know you phoned it in, oh, you're going to get it from me. Because effort matters. Effort matters in everything we do. And I, that's a hill worth dying on for me. And then the last one and the most important one for me is faith. The biggest job I have as a parent is this. It's to introduce my child to Jesus Christ. That's the most important job I have. Because I'm going to be an imperfect parent, but I want to introduce him to a perfect and loving Savior. And I want to live as an authentic example of what it looks like to walk with Jesus Christ. Not a perfect example, but an authentic example. At some point, your kids, like my kids, even right at this moment in my life, they are going to decide whether or not they want to pursue that relationship with Jesus Christ and live for him. And I am going to have to step back and let them choose. But boy, I want them to have seen my faith on display in an authentic way all the days that I have raised them. That faith is a hill worth dying on for me. Which leads me to, so what? so what? Well, I give you a lot of so what's, honestly. There's a whole bunch of so what's back up there. But I want to leave you with this. I want to say, don't miss it. Because the what was I thinking day is coming. The what was I thinking day, we're all going to be faced with a day. And it will come a lot sooner than you think. And, and I call it, I, I saw somebody refer to it as what was the what was I thinking day. And a lot of parents and couples are going to look at each other across the table and their kids are going to be going off to college. This is so true for me right now. We are almost empty nesters. Um, there is going to be an attic full of trophies. There's going to be ribbons and awards and you're going to look at each other across the table and think, what was I thinking? Why didn't we just sit our kids down across this table and enjoy more family time together? Listen, this verse is one of my very favorite verses on parenting in the whole Bible. It's out of Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And you must commit yourselves, how? Wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them when? Again and again to your children. 
Talk about them when you are where? At home. When you are where? In the, on the road. When you are when? Going to bed. And when you are when? Getting up and tie them on your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Listen, you have a limited amount of time with your kids. <laughs> I know because my kids are all in their early 20s and that time is not running out. I plan to spend the rest of my life with my kids, but I understand that the days are numbered that they will live under my house, wake up in the room next to me. I don't know where you're at in this parenting journey, but I would encourage you to lean into it. Love them well. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so thankful for, I am thankful for Elizabeth, Rebecca, and Hannah. God, I'm thankful for the gift you gave me and my own children. But God, even as I stand here in church and watch those kids sing and, and see them come forward and put their hands on an Operation Christmas Child box, I'm reminded of so many families, God, where you have bestowed this gift and it is such an awesome responsibility. Father God, may we lean into that responsibility every day. May we intentionally take the time that is required. May we find the high-impact experiences that will make a difference in our kids' lives. May we remain consistent, God. May we learn to serve together, God. May we stay on our knees in prayer for these kids, God. And for those who today are feeling a little hopeless about one of their kids, God, would you renew hope in their heart? Would you give them your hope for their kid, God, that you would draw them back and that you would surround them, God, with people who would love them through this season, God. I pray for all the kids that are represented in this, in this auditorium, God, and all the kids that are out there in, in Lodi at large, Father, even as we begin upward, God, may we love these kids well and show them what it means to be a servant of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his precious name. Amen.